It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood for BF Goodrich Tyres. Escape with BF Goodrich Tyres and Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventure Show. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. It's uh, wet, cold and windy and... We've got a bit happening on the show today. It's, we've got a massive show. Huge. And there's some huge news. I know you news. say that a lot, but we do. We, we do. We're not lying <laughs> this time. We're not being mischievous. Um, news out of South Australia, Redmond, uh, that affects, that will and potentially affect um, all snapper fishers right around Australia, is that the report from the state government has said stocks have declined by 87% in the Gulf in the Gulf of St. Vincent and 23% in the Spencer Gulf. Yep. Now, we're going to get Shane Mensforth on in about 20 seconds' time, but your initial thoughts, because this is a really alarming statistic, because I've always said South Australia is the best snapper fishery in the country. Now, our snapper stocks and production comes from South Australia. It's seriously alarming, is it not? Yeah, I... I- I don't know what to say about it. I don't. It's it's when I saw this whole article and I read it into depth. You can see where the government's coming from here, but how it's going to affect so many other recreational uh, anglers, tourism, commercial guys, people yep. like charter guys, um, and like you said, Shane Memphis joins us on the line to discuss this because he's the man in South Australia. He's practically the mayor of South Australia. He so is. Shane Mensworth from SA Angler. Good morning, Shane. Morning, gentlemen. How are we? Uh, well, we read this during the week, Pat and I. Um, basically, and it shocked us. It's, yeah, we're in shock. Well, mate, it's, look, this has been coming for a while. Um, you know, Patty, you and I fished for, for Snapper over here quite a few times together, and you've seen how good it was. Uh, but since the last time you and I went a line, things have gone drastically downhill. And now they're to the point where uh, if we don't do something immediately, we're going to have no snapper left. And I can't have Victoria being the snapper capital of Australia. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Shane, um Production right around Australia comes from South Australia when it comes to snapper. Um, you and, and, and obviously many other South Australians make their living from fishing, from the industry itself. Yep. Um, Correct. What impact has it had? And if there was to be a closure for a number of years, um, you know, what impact does that have holistically on the industry? Well, mate, it would be massive. Um, from from the, the guy who sells pilchards at the tackle shop right through to the, the, the people who sell boats and holiday areas around the, around the state, and you know how many there are, all, all around our coastline there are resorts and, and little holiday places that rely heavily on fishing for tourism. 
and they're going to be smashed if this fishery closes for three years. There is no doubt about that. But there'll be people going out of business left, right and centre. And that's very, very scary, mate. Shane, as a recreational angler like myself and yourself, how... I know I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to basically save the stocks. They're trying to save the snapper fishery. As a recreational angler, how are you actually going to take take it? Like, I'm not talking about the businesses. I'm talking about um, just, is it, it going to be accepted? Oh, no, it's not going to be accepted at all, mate. It, it, look, we, we've seen this coming for a number of years, and the, the, the red flags have been there for a long time, and government seems to have ignore them or done done absolutely nothing which is which is really annoying now that it's come to this point it's it's not going to be accepted well at all as i said um yeah you know, i've got a lot, i've got a lot of mates and i've been speaking to over the last 12 hours or so on the phone and they're just all devastated if, if this in fact happens if you can't get snapper in south australia for three years well it, it's, it's just going to be a total disaster the most significant thing to happen in fishing in my lifetime some of the commentary shane around this has been um encouraging anglers to look at other species. So Tommy Ruff, Snook, Yellowfin Whiting, Mullet, Silver Trevally, Western Australian Salmon. But that's not why people flock to South Australia in their thousands. They come there to chase snapper. So when the advice is chase other fish, that must be pretty difficult to to understand. That's I pretty think. poor advice Look from it come from me. <laughs> no, look, you're right now. You know, obviously, we've got a lot of underutilised species, and that's fine. You know, if people want to go out for bread and butter, put something on the table to eat, that's fine. But you're right, the snapper is the iconic fish of South Australia. It's what we're famous for, always have been, and always thought we would be. But uh, no, with, that, with that, you know, that coming off, off the table, you can see what's going to happen to tourism, mate. The Victorians are going to sit back and say, oh, we're not going over there again. We'll sit back and enjoy our own snapper fishery, which gets up my nose big time, I can tell you right now. How can the, how can they uh, monitor this better and not put this uh, three year ban into play? Like, what else can the government do? Well, you know, it's, it's the old pros commercial uh, pros versus rex thing. The pros, the commercial fishermen take eighty percent or more of, of our snapper, right? So as far as most rex are concerned, they're the problem, not us. Um, whether that's right or not, I, I don't know. I try to sit on the fence a bit, but it's not easy as, as you'd appreciate. Yeah, yeah. but you know. The, 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 what my, my solution would be to cut out commercial fishing altogether for snapper for three years, cut the wrecks back to um, you know, maybe one big fish and one small fish per session, and you know, close, close snapper fishing totally during the spawning season. That would take a hell of a lot of pressure off, 80% of the pressure off the fishery. Yeah, it's hard to argue, especially when you, you consider just how big an in, um, input fishing is to South Australian tourism, it would decimate it. I just, I just can't see how you can just go out and ban snapper fishing for three years just off the block like that. Like, I just don't get that. No, no I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Red. It's, we'd, you know, I knew, well, all of us knew something was going to happen, but no one was ready for this. We thought I might, they might close it for a year and then cut us all back by a few fish, but no one was ready for, for a, which is basically a four-season closure. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm just staggered, as, as are most other people on the front. If I was to be told that snapper fishing in Port Phillip Bay was to stop right now for three years, or this season for three years, I, I don't like. I don't, I don't know what to even say to that. Like, it's livelihoods. It's, there's, so, there's so many. I things make that my are, money yep. doing this. This yep. is my livelihood. This yep. is my money. Like, it's stopped. Bang, stopped, shut down. And I feel I, I'm feeling for you guys over there, Shane. I really am. And like I said, there must be some other way. Well, it's the power of the people I, in, the, in Redmond. <laughs> Look, I, I, can, I can see what, what you guys have done in Victoria. You've cut out the commercial side. You haven't you have knocked the, the wrecks out of Port Phillip Bay, and your snapper fishery is coming back wonderfully. 
Yep. Um, I don't see why we can't do the same here. Yeah, well said. Shane, thanks for joining us this morning on Real Adventures. We'll keep up to date uh, in the coming weeks and months um, monitoring the situation over in SA. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Shane. Cheers, boys. Take care. Bye-bye. It's a pretty... Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, soft. it's a big topic, that. Absolutely it is. Just the, the, the huge ramifications, Redmond, that this can have, um, not only on South Australia, um, but nationally... Um, it is really big. It's scary because there's so many wonderful, incredible places to go and, and fish in South Australia. Ardrossan, where my, my great mate Sammy Jacobs is from, yep. one of the great places to go and um, you know chase, chase snapper um, from. What that does to the tourism and what that does to local economies, just incredibly dangerous, incredibly harmful. So... Um, we're going to try at some stage today, Redmond, whether we do or not, we've, we've been working throughout the week to try and get a rep from the state government to come and have a bit of a chat to us about it. Um, Tim Westone was the primary industry, yep. or is the primary industries minister. So we're going to try and have a chat to him a little later around it and the best steps going forward because this is not something that you just, um, you know, you, you don't just go well, straight just to a reactionary there. and then just go... That's what for, you just said there, steps going forward, like, well, what were, where were the steps going forward? Now it's all of a sudden it's just come to step five and it's missed everything in between. Like They should have had something in play to monitor this fishery one way or another better over the previous three, four, five, six years. Like like Shane said, maybe it's only one fish. Instead of just going bang, you're not fishing. I don't think the – I mean, wreck fish shows have – have some responsibility, but as Shane said, I don't think it's quite eighty percent. I think it's in the in the sixty. Yeah, sixty three. I think I read in, in terms of what the um, the commercial fishers take. But that in that in there is the problem. There needs to be yep. a restriction on on wreck fishers because that doesn't have anything to do with the tourism and the local towns and the local economy. That's the thing that we can't forget in this because you're going to decimate these towns. Yep, literally. <laughs> the business is gone. All right, Redmond, moving yes, forward, mate. your week in fishing, how's it been? Um, your Instagram's lit up as usual. It's been pretty tough in terms of the weather. It's been downright yeah, it's just, cold. It's all over the shop. Like one day we've got no wind, and the next day it's blowing 35 or 40 knots, which I'm not exaggerating, which we have this weekend. It's pretty ordinary. But we got some nice widen during the week and, of course, gummies. But those snapper, we were fortunate enough to get those snapper offshore too. And we spoke about that with Chris O from Gone Fishing Charters last or last couple of weeks. And they're gonna, it's going to be – coming from what we just spoke about, it's going to be a great season, it looks like, in Victoria for snapper So uh, with the amount of fish holding in the ocean. Uh, Redmond, now we've been following this for some time. Wreck uh, anglers in Victoria were getting excited when they heard around the uh, uh, finally, and we didn't necessarily agree with it, but ramp fees were going to be abolished, and yes. they have been. We've seen on social yes. media right throughout Facebook, Instagram over the last few weeks, and you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventure Show to join in the conversation, that they were being removed, but you've found something that's rather humorous when it comes to the length of time that uh, you've <laughs> well, got to go out and I'm, catch some snapper and whiting. Before I announce that, because I really like that, uh, just a couple of the ramps. The Warmies boat ramps where they announced it during the week. Um, so Hobson Bay, uh, Bass Coast, Strathbogie, Cronulla, Glenelg and the Surf Coast have all signed agreements with the state government to make their boat ramps free right now. Yep. That's a starting point. Now, what people have got to understand is the state government are trying – the government is trying to – 
get all the ramps for free. They're trying, but they've got yep. to work in with the local council. Exactly and right. It yep. just doesn't happen like that, and people don't understand that. Why can't you just do it? So just bear in mind. But something it will take time. It's going to take time, and that they are they are doing that. I'm really happy with what we've had in, um, from our government in the fishing side of it. I'm really pleased. Absolutely. Um, back to what we're talking about. Attention boat ramp users. So this is the day after they announced that the boating, uh, the ramp's going to be for free. Yep. So the government have finally got into play. They've got the ramps for free in Hobson Bay. And the next day, the signs went up. <laughs> and poor government have just absolutely copped it again because what they've done is they've put their sign up and it says, two-hour parking limit. <laughs> <laughs> so unless you don't bag out in Snapper or Whiting in about two hours, an hour in. and 50, 10 minutes to get back to the ramp, you've got to be back to move your car. So, I, But it, the sign got fixed, I'm pretty sure. It was meant to say 12 hours. So, Slight yeah. typo. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. Escape with BF Goodrich Tyres and Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. It's time for... Oh, sorry, I've taken over your uh, stinger, Redmond. It's time for the whip around, and we're going straight to Swan Hill. Jim Credlin from JC's Bait and Tackle. I'm just going to... How are you, fellas? Oh, I was going good until I lost my segment. But that's right. That's right. You talk. You talk to Jim over there, Pat. <laughs> Jim, what's the report for the week, mate? Yeah, look, mate. It's a bit cold and windy here today. Like I've had everywhere else in Victoria, I think. But anyway, look. Uh, last week there was uh, some um, locals put in here at, the, at, at town. Well, they put in at uh, yeah, Cody Lane, and they, uh, they sort of pushed around back towards Swan Hill. They uh, finished up with a forty-nine and a half and a, uh, a sixty-five centimetre cod. Uh, that was on bait. Um, had a couple in during the week getting some uh, some gear for their uh, for their son, and they showed me some photos of a um, 72 and a 57 centimetre cod that um, he'd got at Murrabit on bait last weekend. Uh, this, the cod are still moving around. You just got to sort of brave the weather and get out and have a, have a go at them. Um, the little Murray here in Swan Hill, just uh, near the Pioneer Settlement. Had a bloke in yesterday getting some more yabbies. He got a, uh, a 60 centimetre cod on a yabby. He was going back to have another another crack at it. Um, I had a guy in this morning uh, getting some Midwest vibes and uh, and a few spinnerbaits, and uh, he was heading up to the Frenchman's Creek, which uh, comes out of um, out of Lake Victoria. Um, so uh, the the yellows are uh, on the on the on the run up there with uh, the water bubbling coming out of the out of the through the weir. So. Um, he was hoping to, hoping to bag out up there. So, as I said, look, after this weekend, I reckon the weather should start to pick up um, as we, and the water temperatures should start uh, warming up as we get sort of closer into September than October. And then the yaddles will start coming on the bite. So get out there and have a crack at them. Beautiful work. Jim Credlin from JC's Bait and Tackle in Swan Hill. If you're in the region, make sure you pop in and say good day to Jim. Thanks, Jim. See you, fellas. Colder weather may have just uh, hurt us a little bit this week. It's hurting my bones and my joints and my athletic physique. Up next, Dave Ballinger from Snowy River Bait and Tackle. Morning, Dave. Good morning, boys. How are you today? We're going well. It's been a bloody cold week, let's be honest, Dave. How's the fishing been? I don't think there would have been been that many people fishing, surely. No, 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 no. It has been a cold week. Yes, cold winter. I would, I would say. Um, it's been, it's been, and it slowed things down too. Let me tell you. Um, and it's not just here. It's like right along. 
there's still like you still hunt around and get a few fish so it's just you got to work fairly hard for them mate, but they're still there but um it has it has slowed um has slowed the whole system down um gee whiz um you know, so I worked pretty hard last weekend. For example, we had a local comp on and uh, and, and landed five fish for the whole weekend. So, um, uh, and the biggest was uh, was seven fifty, um, and, and that being brim. But um, but anyway, if you stick at it, you'll find them. Uh, they are starting to spawn too. I noticed. Um, so they're uh, it's cold, yes, and they're starting to spawn. <laughs> and uh, but the good thing is, there's um, there's a good run of ludric have, uh, have come in the system, which is fairly common uh, around the winter months here um, and some of them are getting you know some around um, you, you know 45 to 50 centimetres and my you know gee whiz you'll have to hang on though if you're on light gear like your brim gear and because um, I, I even take plastics from time to time and um, and gee they're hard to turn they're hard to turn the bigger ones so um, look you know we've got spring around the corner though we look on the bright side you know the waddles are starting to bloom up here at the moment and um and that's a real good sign of the perch starting to come on, and obviously upriver, um, up around Orbos, which is, you know, for those um, are not aware of the area, it's, um, you know, 14 k's away, I'll just say 10 miles, you might as well say, um, upstream, uh, and the bass, uh, the bass season will, uh, will kick on too. So, so I'm looking forward to that. That's for Off- sure. Offshore, Dave. Well, Obviously, we it's been pretty crap. Well, gummy, gummy fishing yeah, during the winter yeah. can be really good, Dave. On the fishing side, I know the yeah. weather makes it hard to get out of the Cape Connor and Ramp and the likes. How have they been fishing? Yeah, yeah look, um, it's, it's, it has been fishing fairly well. Slower, uh, it always is. Um, there's a lot of those um, sleepy sharks or draft board sharks around. Oh. You're going to get a boat line at the end oh, of the moment. Don't so. talk about them. Or just like pulling up a brick, you know. So, um, mm. But look, you know, if you can weed through them, you'll still find some good ones. You know, some, usually if you get onto a few gummies this time of year, they can get quite a size. Like, you know, the big females around, they're all full of pups or, or coming that way anyway. And, um, uh, you know, so if you, you know, if you stick at it, you're likely to get, you're likely to, um, you know, pick, uh, pick up one or two. But that's all reports have been getting is, is ones and twos, you know, half a dozen flatties in and outing, you know. It's um it's been pretty tough going. As far as out wide, I haven't really had, I don't have any any uh, any uh, more information for you really than what I gave you last time. It's um it's been pretty lumpy offshore. I know that. And um yeah, so anything off the uh, anything off the beach before we let you go, Dave? Obviously, it's a really yeah, yeah, good sure. ta- yeah, tailor yeah. and the, the, salmon the, the, fishery. The, the, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut cut you off there. Um, yeah, look, the surf uh, the surf um, has been good. Look, you know, the Yerung Beach and Point Ricardo and Kringle Beach have all been producing pretty well. Um, there's a good winter run of salmon come through, which has kept um, you know kept the guys on the beach pretty happy. You know, uh, there's a few tailor in amongst them as well. Um, but um, but they've been spasmodic, but they've been quite big. They're up to up to like three kilo, you know, to five to six pounds. Um, fish, uh, you know, reported. I haven't certainly haven't caught one three kilo, but um, I've had them up kilo and a half and two kilo. Uh, I just like going down, and flicking slugs, you know, slug lures into the surf. That's my thing. I don't really bait fish on the surf, but but um, you, you know, Point Ricardo is probably the better access. And then the Yerung, and then Keringle Beach and Malo, and um, you know, it's a bit of a trek to get to a, a few of these places. But uh, the beach has been going quite well. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for the report, Dave. Make sure if you are in the Marlow region, you stop in at Snowy River Bait and Tackle. Say good day to Dave. Grab yourself a couple of lures or two and uh, go get yourself some fish. Cheers, Dave. Yeah, okay. Good on you, boys. Take it easy. 
Redman, before we wrap up the segment, Port Phillip Bay, your report? Uh, it's cold. Don't go. <laughs> um, the whiting fishery of St. Leonard's uh, have started to get the smaller fish there now. So leading to spring, that'll continue to get better. Those big fish are still down south. Um, it's nearly time to have a sneaky look for snapper in the bay if you're very keen because you'll start getting really big fish in there. Uh, it's hard to get motivated to do, but you will see fish. Gummy fishing along the South Channels and all the uh, Simmons Channel fishing really well. Offshore has been great, like I said at the start of the show, the snapper. But one thing I just want to touch on is those yellowfin tuna off the East Coast, Aladala, JB, up that way. My God. That's Still going all I can, really well. It's, uh, I know Richie Ballo, and we're going to get Richie on again soon. I'm pretty sure he landed close to 10 fish the other day, um, up to sort of 80 kilo of yellowfin tuna. So that's that's amazing, and it's the first time we've seen numbers like this back, which is uh, great to see. That wraps up the whip around. Now it's time for the social club. Thanks to BF Goodrich Tires. What are you building for? You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Real Adventure Show to join in the conversation. Jacob Taylor, Aaron, when do you think Mercury's new 450 horsepower outboard will become available for commercial fishermen? Good question. It's well, actually, no, it's more of a question for you. I'm going to let you answer that because you love your toys. I do. Uh, well, we obviously saw it released um, during last week yep. um, with the Sydney International Boat Show. Um, so it was on display for the first time. It's 130, or they claim it's 130 um, kilos lighter than its nearest competitor. Now, if you look at Yamaha, uh, Yamaha's 425. Which is a massive engine. Which is a huge engine. Um the lightest variants that they come in, which is a 25-inch shaft version, weighs in at 430 kilos. Yep. So it's about a 100-odd kilos difference. Um, obviously, the, the Merc being slightly greater horsepower, but the V8 Yamaha is you know, one of the best in the industry. When will it become available? I think the question is, when will a boat be built strong enough with strong enough transom to hold it? <laughs> well, obviously, there's plenty of, bo- uh, plenty of motors that weigh in around just, the same yeah. amount, but it's dealing with the power that's obviously attached to it. it will, they will become available eventually to the commercial. So they're purely and, racing, and re- aren't they? recreational. Purely segment. racing engines. Yeah, that's what they've been designed for so far. But they will, as we've seen with the, the 400R Verado. Yep. Um, that started off initially as a racing outboard, and now obviously you can get it um, as a recreational angler for you know recreational yep. use. We'll see it come into that into that space. There's no doubt. Um, Redmond, hi guys. Fish Burke Street on the weekend and found ting, which I'm assuming is whiting. Whiting. Uh, but every time I burly, pinkies invaded us. Should I not burly? Maybe. Now, he's talking about St. Leonard's there as Burke Street's your common area. That was from Joe, sorry. Yep, from Joe. Uh, common area that uh, people head out to get a nice feed of whiting, which I just spoke about. Um, the whiting are quite small there at the moment. They're as thin as I've ever seen them, Pat, to be honest with you. They're really thin, but you can get a nice bag of them. And I, I reckon they, they're, really, they're tasty. They're extremely tasty, those little ones. You got little whiting nuggets. But to get away from the pinkies is one of those questions I can't really answer. Yep. It's been a year that I've never seen before. Poor South Australia is copping there, no snapper sign, and we just can't get away from them, especially in those small side of them. I'm talking 30 centimetres max, not and averaging 5 to 10 centimetres. They are tiny, tiny pinkies. Yeah. I, honestly, Joe, if you can find a way to get away from them, I, all I could say was once the water temperature cooled, they were going to go. They did ease. They're not as bad as they were. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this. You're probably fishing slightly deeper there. Try and get a little bit shallower if if the conditions suit. Those deeper, those seven eight meters has been really bad for them. Coming to that five or six, if possible. I know there's widening out there at the eight. I know there's widening at the five, but 
that five or six metres has been a bit better than what it has in the um, on the deeper side of things. All right, this next one is from Tim. Good afternoon. I've some flares that expire in September, and I am wondering where I can take them to dispose of them safely. So I'm assuming that's rather than just uh, launching them into the bin, Redmond. But what I've done is I've done what most people do, and I've Googled it. Because I didn't know the answer. <laughs> um, oh, you've done some research. I did so some research. enlighten us all. Recommended disposal of flares is, this is off, um, uh, transport safety, is to uh, take your flares that have expired to the police station. Right. Uh, but the problem is... Don't take them say, to your local soccer match or... Well, you know, it actually says at the bottom of this article, all the above will remove, will remove the temptation to take marine flares to the soccer. <laughs> Does it really? <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> um, I was um, taking the piss as well. <laughs> the shop where you bought them from as well, uh, some of them, some of those stores uh, will have uh, storage magazines, which they will you then dispose, dispose of, of them, them in. Yep. yep. Um, the police don't actually have, a lot of them don't have the magazines to store them in, but I'm tipping they will. They will get rid of them for you. Yep. So there's a couple of ways you can uh, try and uh, get rid of your flares. <laughs> don't take the soccer. to the soccer. <laughs> All right, that wraps up. <laughs> that wraps up the social club you can find us on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Real Adventures show to join in the conversation this is Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tires what are you building for and for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern the perfect outdoor companions on Real Adventures it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy it's time for All Aboard, thanks to Dometic. Mobile living made easy. Whether you're on the road or out at sea, Dometic has you covered. Our, st- our special guest this morning is Serge Bonifo, professional fly fisherman. Head to fishnewzealand.com for more info on Serge. He hosts fly fishing trips on New Zealand's South Island. Good morning, Serge. Good morning to you guys. Thank you for having me on. No, thanks, thanks for joining yeah. us. Thanks very much. We're excited for this. Pat loves his fly fishing uh, surge like massively. So he's been looking forward to this chat for a couple of weeks. I do, Serge. I've actually been in New Zealand six times. So every time I go over, I try and... Um, I try and sneak know, a rod on the plane? S- sneak a rod on the plane, sneak away from the wife and the kids for a couple of days and, and uh, hunt a few trout. Um, how long have you been doing it for, Serge? Because it's one of those things that once you start, it really is quite addictive. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about fishing in general or do you want to talk about my career as a fishing guide? Well, I want to talk a bit about your career first. (laughs) My career first started a long, long time ago when I first arrived in New Zealand, when I first met a couple of nice guys on the North Island. And um, basically that started from there, so about 20, 27 odd years ago. And I really became a member of the uh, New Zealand Professional Fishing Guide Association uh, 16 years ago. Now, from now to the, from then to now, rather, um, fishing has changed a huge amount, and the pressure on the New Zealand fishery, um, which you know supports a huge amount of tourism, has obviously changed because it is one of the most world-renowned uh, fly fishing destinations, um, isn't it? Yeah, um, I would I would only agree partially with you there. Um, it's not only the pressure; um, it's also uh, waters um, and uh, rivers that we basically lost. You know, with uh, the increase of uh, uh, the dairy farming in New Zealand, what we call the lowland rivers have basically disappeared from the map. Um, you can cannot 
fish them really the way you were doing that 10 or 15 years ago. And uh, there is that kind of displacement of people or anglers uh, now heading off to uh, the backcountry, what we call the backcountry. Um, and uh, certainly um, tourism is the main industry in New Zealand and going from 600,000 people that were there 20 years ago to 3.2 million I think last year is a big difference and of course um, the uh, angling pressure uh, has increased accordingly. Serge, you've obviously fished uh, all around the world, you can read it on your website. And you're originally yeah. from Fra- you're originally from France. How do you end up in New Zealand as a specific spot? Like all around the world, world class fisheries all around the world, fly fishing. How does New Zealand become the place where you end up? You start your business and your your, your livelihood just ends up there. Well, uh, I guess I guess we have to uh, get back to sort of thirty years ago. You know, um, at the time, though we were already talking about places in the U.S. like Montana or uh, some places in Canada, we certainly certainly didn't have the same kind of uh, uh, publicity or knowledge of those fisheries um, as uh, you had from New Zealand. New Zealand has been an amazing fishery for a long, long time. And if I refer to the New Zealand Professional Fishing Guide Association, this is an association that has been existing for 40 plus years now. So um, everything everything was there already. And um, for me, that was, without any doubt, the main destination uh, in ways of uh, fishing, you know. Um, and uh, uh, I guess... You sometimes in your life make decisions, you know. Um, and for me, if you, if you look at it, my my decision at the time was towards three different destinations, and that was your your country, you guys, the uh, big continent, which is Australia, and that was a scary situation at the time. And the fishing was not extraordinary at the time. And I had the U.S. continent, but to me, it was too big. Um, too scary, and then there was a little country there, which was New Zealand, uh, you know, and it had everything for me, uh, when you think about it, the fishing, of course, but also I'm a rugby fan, so what (laughs) better choice can you have in your life, you know? (laughs) So I don't think I made a big mistake by coming down here, uh, even if it's 17 uh, kilometers away from France. Let's get back to, well, let's get to New Zealand. Your style of fishing, and most fly fishing, um, is sight fishing. Can you talk us through what that is for those that don't fly fish and the the hunting of fish, I suppose, which it is? Yeah, I, uh, I like the term hunting for fish, uh, as you just expressed it. This is exactly what we're doing. Uh, we uh, down here, and I'm talking about the mainland, um, which is the South Island versus the North Island. Um, we are uh, quite proud to say that we hunt for fish. Uh, basically, um, we get to the river, and though there would be days where you cannot fish, but uh, only fish blind most of the time and that's probably 90 plus percent of the time we are walking along the river 
Um, and that can be a very small river, like a spring creek, or it could be a huge braided river like we have uh, up here in North Canterbury. And uh, we're spotting fish, so we're reading the water, and this is this is really by itself uh, a lot of skills to put in place. Reading the currents, knowing where the fish uh, could potentially be, uh, spotting... Um, the movement of a tail, uh, spotting a flash, spotting a snout coming out of the water to pick up a big dry. And um, this is basically the hunting. And then after that, there's the fishing, of course, which is uh, the fun part of it, because we do not have a lot, a lot of fish. And the quantity here in New Zealand has to be forgotten. We basing our fishing on uh, quality instead means we got an average of uh, fish uh, in size, which would be around five and a half, six pounds. And that was my average last season, for example. Which is a ripping size fish. It is, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... uh, and this is the way we fish. So um, we're walking. Uh, there's sometimes a lot of walking in between two fish, but the reward is just amazing. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, when you start, uh, and I rarely have clients catching smaller fish than four pounds, uh, but that can go up to 10 pounders as well. So, um, you know, a lot of my clients and a lot of people coming to New Zealand know that uh, they're coming for the quality. And uh, when you get a six plus uh, and up to 10 pound of fish, this is pretty amazing really on a five weight or even a six weight sometimes. But I do have clients who uh, want to fish on four weight rods. So um, 10 pound on four weight, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Serge, you are on your, on your website, like I, uh, like I said before, I read that you yeah. fish... 40 over 40 streams and rivers and different places for uh, for trout fly fishing how do you even know 40 rivers because i don't even know 40 streets around where i live at the moment (laughs) (laughs) you got my bad neighbors that's probably why Uh, (laughs) uh, you know it is it is uh, a matter of getting really uh, involved in what to do and uh, just liking what you do, you know. The season here uh, lasts only for seven months, which is giving me another five months to explore um, the rivers, uh, the backcountry, and making sure that there is always an option. Um, but it's uh, it's spending time um, on the road, it's spending time on the side of uh, the rivers and uh, just making sure you understand them. Um, the beauty of it, you know, and you're mentioning 40 rivers, but when you know the kind of floods we can get in New Zealand, so basically every second year you get a new river, you know, so that's an advantage for us because it changes all the time. But, uh, yes, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to say, um, 40 rivers... Do you have a favourite? Yeah. Obviously, there's there's beauty with all of them, but where is your favourite place in New Zealand to fish, or is it a secret? <laughs> so you have to put something on uh, the one. Uh, I don't know uh, 
is Patrick or Aaron, the, the one who is coming too, too often to New Zealand. I don't, don't want to tell him my secret spot. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. That's, that's me. Pat. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, at the end of the day, um, what I very often say to people, um, and this is not an unusual question, you know, if you take the map of New Zealand and the mainland down here, and you look at it from above, there, there is blue everywhere, means there are rivers everywhere. And without, uh, and I will probably get a, a bit more into details uh, after that, but, you know, without being too clued, uh, with the help of Google, with the help of uh, websites, you can find fish pretty much everywhere. In saying that, certainly um, the places I favor uh, for my fishing uh, are places like North Canterbury, where I live, of course, because I just can't go anywhere and farm fish, you know. I got around here in Hanma probably within an hour driving 30, 30 pieces of water I can fish. And after that, there is, to me, a mag magic place uh, down here, which is the West Coast. Yep. And the reason why the West Coast is so magic to me is the fact that you have a variety of waters that you cannot find anywhere else in the country. You have the braided rivers, you got the, the alpine rivers, you got the spring creeks, you got that kind of rivers where uh, access is so difficult that even if you catch two fish in a day, it's well worth it because they would be big. You know, but certainly if I had to give you one and only one place in New Zealand where uh, I would spend a lot of time and most of my time, it would be the West Coast, which is basically extending from if, if you take Hanmer Springs, which is a sort of central to the island. If you get over the Lewis Pass, everything which is on the other side of the Lewis Pass is considered as, a, as the West Coast. And I fish that part of the country or the island basically from uh, bottom to top, from Hast to Karamea, and there are not only 40 rivers, there are really hundreds of rivers, you know. So, uh, yeah, this is my favorite place, really. Now, in order to, uh, you know, to be guided by you, so you don't have to be an expert, do you? You can be beginning and just getting into your fly fishing, or you can be an expert looking for, um, for advice as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that fishing is, a, is an everyday's, everyday's uh, learning uh, curve. And even for us professionals, you know, we say we're learning every day we are on the rivers because everything is changing. We have that uh, amazing element, which is water. And of course, it changes the course of a river. It changes the position of the, the fish. Um, but also technically, um, if you're a beginner, um, you, don't need, you don't need to spend uh, five or six hours a day to know uh, how to cast a line. I think they are the basics, and this is where you need to rely uh, on professional um, people like we are, because the basics will help you to uh, start well in the business uh, of fishing, and uh, you will be rewarded very quickly. Um, and 
Of course, we have the experts. And I don't know if uh, ever somebody can call himself or herself an expert in fly fishing, because as I said, there's so much to learn about it, and the techniques are changing all the time. But certain, certainly, um, having beside you as an expert, uh, as you would call yourself, a, prof- a professional fishing guide who knows the water, who knows uh, how to fish a water, uh, there's always something to learn, absolutely. Serge, we really appreciate your time and joining us on Real Adventures this morning. For more info on Serge and fly fishing in the South Island in New Zealand, you can visit fishnewzealand.com or you can find Serge on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fishnewzealand. Thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. My pleasure, guys, and uh, all the very best. Uh, have a great, great uh, afternoon in Australia because uh, it's going to be your afternoon. And uh, please do not hesitate. If you need uh, tips, if you need help, uh, always a phone call away, guys. Thanks very much, sir. We appreciate that a lot. Good on you, Serge. Cheers. My, pl- my pleasure, guys. Bye-bye. Serge Bonifo. And he's very, very passionate about what do he does. And if you look at the reviews and ratings on what Serge does... Um, he's one of the best New Zealand has to offer. Redmond. That was all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Now it's time for Red's review for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. For store locations, visit thirstycamel.com.au. Today, Redmond, we are reviewing the Dometic Perfect Charged MCA. Now, the reason I really like this, um, the Perfect Charge battery charges ensures that your batteries are charged 100% and you can see that um, with the gauge that it has. Um, and it's something we should, we should always do for our boats. Obviously, after a long day of being out in the boat, for me, when I'm running them in Coda, it's putting serious stress on the batteries, obviously, and the Merc isn't always recharging them um, simply because I don't do huge hours on it. Yep. So you need to come home. The beauty of this is you install it and it can charge three batteries at well, that's what you just said. Really important. Well, most of our boats these days, maybe not the little, so little ones, uh, but we, dual battery system is the Absolutely. go. It's the go. And if you go out fishing, and just to top your batteries up, um, even if you, you, even to turn it on because it is fitted to your boat. Yep. Even to use it before you do go fishing, if you haven't fished for a while. For example, this snapper season, if, if you've got it mounted to the boat already and you can charge both those batteries up at the same time and it's a really safe way to charge your batteries as well it um because there's only the one power. there's only one input you bring your power cord attached to your, you know whether your campsite or your, yep, your house you, yep. you plug it in you turn it on and that will do the th- uh, up to three batteries that you have on board which is a bit of a game changer in terms of organizing everything rather than having to individually tar- charge batteries you do all batteries on the same boat at the one time. You don't have more than three batteries on your boat. Um, no, I've got two in mine. Uh, but yes, but to be able to do three, like you said, is really important, I think, too, because like for people that go away fishing in um, uh, estuary and using them in coders, like you said, if you're not if you're running off your electric motor all day, you're not actually the Merc isn't on. Yeah, or the exactly. engine, your Honda, whatever engine you've got, isn't on because. It's, it's you're using electric, so you're not actually getting the the alternator to charge the batteries itself, and that's why when you get home, it's really important you can top up just by um, using this. 
Features that we really like, it's got a gentle charging of 12-volt batteries um, with optimised six-stage tar- charging technology. It's compact design, it's lightweight and easy to install, which is important because I don't really care too much for installing <laughs> things. Redmond, that's sort of when I come to you and say... Who do you, you recommend? Know, who, who do you recommend? Because <laughs> I don't do it what either. Do you think? <laughs> and as we'd spoken about, um, it's got three battery outpoints. So you can simultaneously charge two batteries plus the starter battery at the same time. Um, and there's up to 30% faster charging with the with the components and mechanisms that they've used. So um, it's a bit of a game changer in terms of making sure every time you go out, your batteries are ready to go. That was Red's review. This is Real Adventures for BF Goodridge Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge Tyres. Escape with BF Goodridge Tyres and Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. You're listening to Real Adventures for BF Goodridge Tyres. Escape with BF Goodridge Tyres and Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. It's time for Red's tip for New Age Caravans. Visit your New Age Caravan dealer today. Start your summer adventure. With a new age caravan, newagecaravans.com.au. Uh, Redmond. Yes. Driving in a following sea. We saw a few videos sort of floating around mm. uh, on social media, and it's come off a bit of the back of the conversation we had a few weeks around, a few weeks ago, around um, driving in the dark. Yep. You're taking the stabby back after catching a couple of thumping bluefin tuna, but driving in a following sea, what to look for and and things to, to try and evade and make sure you don't get stuck with because we saw a, uh, a commercial boat capsized by really poor driving. Um, I think it was posted by JV Marine World, but it was obviously a video from overseas. Yeah, so the... We're going to cover two things. We're going to cover following sea is in just following sea in the ocean. You got a sea coming behind you. And then we're going to cover a little bit of into a bar or how to cross a yep. bar with a following sea. So coming in with the following sea into a, into a place where waves will break. Now, first of all, in the ocean, if you're coming in with a following sea, it's a lot about control of your trim. Now, you've got to have trust in the driver too as well. I'm talking if it gets a bit hairy. Yep. But even if it's simple, doing the starting with small waves, like as in small chop and understanding how to get your boat to sit better in the water is um, really important. Now, if you're driving with the waves coming behind you, so following sea, so they're pushing, uh, they're coming in from the back of you and you're driving with it. That's what is called a following sea. Now, when it's when you've got your boat in the water, you've got a picture that if you're pushing something forward, it tends to try and move to the side and broach. If, like, I'm yeah, talking if your about, boat is, isn't lined up directly straight, yep, it is going to move. It's, gonna, it's always going to try and pull one way. Now, how to make this hap- not happen and um, avoid broaching, as it's known, is to control your boat with your trim. So it's about trimming your engine at all times. Now, Pat, you've seen me drive a boat. I'm constantly trimming my engine to do with where I am at a, any time I'm, I'm at that wheel. It's always about one hand on the throttle at all times, unless it's super calm, and the other one on the wheel. Now... I'm constantly using my trim. If I'm going up a wave, like if I'm like the other day coming back with those three, four, five meter swell, I've got the engine trimmed out quite a long way to pull the nose out of the water, so the nose goes up the wave and doesn't dive into the wave. You don't want it to bury. You don't want to bury your nose, and that's where things go wrong because it throws your boat to the side. Yep. People, not only and can you flip, easy way to capsize. It's easy way to throw someone out of a boat yep. and to throw someone into the side of a boat. It can really hurt someone in a in a following sea when you've got waves coming from behind and you don't use the trim of your boat properly so it's about 
just playing with it. You'll feel the boat. You you can hear it in the engine. You can hear when your engine's working to when it's revving. It's two different things. Yep. And you play with your engine and you get your nose out. Not too far. You don't want to be slapping. When you're on a head-on sea, I know we're not talking about it, you might want to trim your engine in a bit rather than... Because you don't want to be on a head-on. Your nose is going up and down really hard. So that's a whole other another topic. Now, if you're coming into a bar, when you've got waves coming into a bar, the best thing to do and the smartest thing to do is ride a wave. You follow the wave in. but You don't ride it like a surfer. You ride it on the back of the wave. So you're actually sitting behind the wave, not letting the one behind you catch you. So there's, say you're coming in on the surf beach, you've got a set of six, seven waves coming in. The wave, you pick your time to go in, and you're going to Which sit- is ideally the back end of the swell. Yeah, the end of it. You yep. can, you, in a set, Pat, between five and eight waves, you can nearly count them. It's going to be, that's what comes through in an average set. I know when it's rougher and it's bigger, you're going to have in waves in between, but I'm talking a set wave, which is quite often what catches people out. You're going to hold yourself on the back of the wave, not in front. You're going to sit on it and ride it in from behind. Um, in the video we watched, this guy literally rode, rode the wave in and flipped his boat in between a passage, which is so dangerous to do because there's rocks and there's other boats coming in and out. And it's sort of like it was looked like Lake's Entrance Bar in a way. I know it wasn't, but it looked similar it to did. that. Yep. And you got to remember this tide, which causes waves too. So you've got to think that waves will slow down as it approaches the bar. At the tide, if you've got an outgoing tide, which is the most dangerous time to cross a bar, will lift the wave up. So sit on the back of it, let it break and fizzle out, and then you can motor to either the next one or into the bar. You done? I'm done. All I right. could have went for hours then, but you had to, you had to, had to wrap it up. That was Red's tip for New Age Caravans. It's time for the Flying Gaff for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions. Now, Redmond, you've got a little sneaky gaff. You've yeah. got a gaff for uh, a couple of men that kept... Um, well, it was just one man. And stole. I've uh, got it. It's stole. It's stealing. Um, fisheries officers found a man at the Rye boat ramp, so locally to myself, sort of, across the bay, had seven calamari in his possession when they jumped on the boat and checked, which is perfect. You're allowed 10 per person. The only drama was um, he had a plastic bag with another 10 calamari hidden in the back of the boat. <laughs> so 500 bucks fine? That's all he gets. So I'm nearly going to gaff fisheries here because I'm tipping he's done it before. 500 bucks fine. So don't go taking more than you need or more than you're allowed to have. My gaff heads across the border, Redmond. Um, I just, I, I understand, and you know I am all about sustainability and making sure that we're protecting the fish stocks as much as possible. Um, but a three year ban. And the the how detrimental that would be to recreational fishermen and local country towns that rely on tourism because of the snapper fishery in South Australia, um, I just think needs a, a serious thought. Needs another review. Absolutely, it does. So the commercial sector that takes you know that's responsible for sixty to seventy percent of the of the snapper fishery. That's I think where. The, the rules and regs need to be revisited with and we understand everyone has a job to do and there's there's recreational um, jobs that are uh, sorry commercial jobs that are at yep. risk with that but in terms of the greater good and the tourism that's that the thing. affects you said commercial guys yes it is their job but you got to remember if they're still taking their quota that quota won't be there in three years correct is that, if that makes sense so yep. they're going to wipe like, no I'm saying they're doing a bad job but I'm saying that it's the, it's the rules and regs that, yep. that currently exist with but we need to seriously consider if it's going to be a three-year ban, just the detrimental effects that they'd have. And on they need the- to be smarter with their plans for fishing. Like I think Vic Fisheries are the ideal. I think their plans that they have in place to they've done a very good job, very good job. And I think South Australia need to three years ago go back and put in place some more rules and regs. The National Snapper Fishery relies upon 
the South Australian, which is money. The, the the South Australian snapper yep. fishery, though, because that's where it all starts. So we need to get that right. But destroying recreational fishers' opportunities to fish for them and the tourism that, that relies on it, detrimental. That is the gaff for this week. This has been Real Adventures for BF Goodrich Tyres. What are you building for? And for Thirsty Camel and Great Northern, the perfect outdoor companions, we're going fishing. No, you're not. You're going to play footy. Yeah, I'm going to play footy. <laughs> it's Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typepower.com.au now.